Hello, welcome to the podcast, Friday the 23rd of October. I hope you are well. I appreciate you hitting on the button. Thank you also to the sponsors, Bang Olsen of Cheltenham, who are specialists in home installations and the fine equipment of Bang and Olufsen, and also through Serene AV, can offer bespoke solutions to home entertainment systems, not just the B&O equipment you see advertised on Jason Briggs's uh, Instagram or Bang & Olufsen's Cheltenham's Instagram, B&O Cheltenham, uh, but also kind of can come out or do it via Zoom, whatever it might be these days, to design your bespoke home entertainment system, audio equipment, whatever you are looking for. Check out Bang & Olufsen's Cheltenham's website or Twitter, Instagram, and you can get in contact with the team there, all the numbers, etc. for Jason Briggs and his team. housed around the corner from me in Montpellier in Cheltenham, good local Gloucestershire business, but very much international flavor to their equipment. Thank you also to cytoplan.co.uk for the association with the podcast, food-based supplements that my father's a big advocate of, my father being Dr. Mark Draper, who is a general practitioner in the Cotswolds in England, but also a micronutritionist specializing in trace elements, fascinated by perhaps depletion in UK soil and how he sees these food-based supplements as important as balancing that out, getting enough selenium, zinc at this time of year, vitamin D as well, of course, is a key one as we head into winter. And it gets gloomy in these parts in the northern hemisphere. Not much sunlight around to, to sort of galvanize that D3 in our systems, which is becoming quite an important factor, they believe, in, in staving off COVID-19 as well as the regular stuff, optimizing our immunity. So cytoplan.co.uk and you can get a 10% discount with my code DRAPER10R. So D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, one zero, and then the capital letter R. So that code has changed. So just check. And listen again to that Draper 10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, 10R, and all those letters are capital letters. Right, fascinating podcast today. Uh, I was approached by an intermediary just said, do I want to interview Frank Smith of Matchroom? And I said, absolutely. I think it's one of the fascinating stories in British boxing, even though Frank will go on in this podcast to basically uh, be very candid and say that he's not a boxing aficionado in terms of knowing the ins and outs, hasn't boxed himself, obviously knows a lot about the sport now because he's been at hundreds and thousands of events probably, uh, but just in terms of technical side of it, didn't box himself and won't advise you on that, but has helped build a fantastic matchroom sport business in boxing. He's a CEO of Global Boxing there now, and he also um, has a fascinating story because he left school at 16, I guess against the current convention really in terms of people who are aspirational, the sort of mantra, particularly even when I was at university, and I think it continues even though university's got a lot more expensive in recent years, is you have to go and then figure out what you want to do. Well, Frank left at 16, joined Matchroom as a T-boy, he says, and then <clears throat> worked his way up and impressed enough working across a variety of sports to be the CEO of global boxing at Matchroom Sports, traveling the world, organizing events, organizing boxing matches, presumably doing some tough negotiations as well. So it's a pretty cool story. And he is, uh, I think, an inspiring character in lots of ways, more understated by personality than Eddie Hearn, who's the kind of front man of, of Matchroom Sport, the man who's kind of kept Frank under his wing and led him through the evolution of his career. But I think Frank is, is just a fascinating story in himself and a real inspiration to young people, particularly at the moment when you're wondering maybe, is it worth going to university given the state of the situation, given the state of universities at the moment, what they're able to offer in the pandemic? And this is potentially another route, although Frank would probably have had to make tea by Zoom or Teams calls at the moment if he was doing it all over. But here he is, Frank Smith, the CEO of Matchroom Global Box. <laughs> Frank Smith, we're on the podcast, Sport and Life. Thank you for taking the time, mate. Appreciate it. How are you doing? You look great. We've turned the video off now, but I got to see you in that, that smashing jacket. 
I know I got all dressed up for it, and then you told me it was it was a uh, voice only. So I got I was I was sad, but no, all, all well, thanks, mate. Crazy times, but all good. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, we're going in about three days a week for the day job at Sky Sports News, and then I've been doing bits of boxing and MMA from home, Zoom stuff like like this, but the video version and and, and bits and bobs of of writing as well, which has been quite nice to to get back into it. But it's been very surreal. Um, I think we're bringing COVID tests at work, which I know you've been been around all that kind of stuff as well but uh, how, how has it been for you personally family and stuff all well first and foremost yeah all very good thank you all very good it's been nice actually to spend some time with them you know mm. um i was thinking about it the other day last year i think i spent 300 nights in hotel rooms wow. and uh, this year i've probably done about 30 and i did probably 100 flights last year and this year probably 10 so it's like getting used to a whole new life at the start I quite enjoyed it and I mm. quite enjoyed being at home and then after a while I think you, you start to think oh, I'd quite like to get on a plane again <laughs> um, and, and see the world but I think it's been good in terms of sort of looking back at the things I have been able to do in the last few years where we've moved at such a pace yeah, you don't really appreciate the things you've done. So this has been a good time to look back and sort of realise how lucky I am. Really. Yeah, f fantastic stuff. Well, how, how do you feel? Do you feel healthier for for not travelling as much? Yeah, I've I've lost two stone mainly because my um, missus won't let me eat as much as I normally do when I'm getting on and off of planes and, and hotels. <laughs> so I'm under a bit of control. So yeah, feel a lot better. You know. Um, where we're, we're just, I think you get into this routine. If you jump off a plane, you go to an event, you jump back on a plane, you go to the next place, next place, next place. You don't yeah. ever really realise what what you're doing or how tired you feel. It's just it's one big, I think it's the adrenaline really, because we're so lucky to work in the business we do um, mm. that just keeps you moving at all times. But yeah, I think I, I feel a lot better. I feel a bit lighter on my feet. I can actually run 5K now rather than, <laughs> a walk, rather than run a K and then walk four. So... Uh, it's been it's been good for some things. Are you doing are you doing the five k runs in the park? Are you are you doing that sort of national oh, I, national thing? I, I tried. Um, I've been running a bit. I've been spending some time in Brighton, so I run along the seafront there, and then trying on the running machine as well. Anything just to keep me a bit active, get my heart yeah. rate up. What was your sport growing up, Frank? Because you've been in matching for so long, working weekends. I guess you haven't been able to play. But what was your sport growing up? Uh, I I was a big. I loved football when I was growing up, I'm sure as most, most uh, kids do. Yeah. Um, and I was a big West Ham fan. I used to play for Chigwell Boys Football Club up until oh, nice. the age of 15, I think it was. Yeah, 15. And then I started work when I was 16. And then from then, just really, it just got lost a bit and, you know, stopped going to watch football. Not lost interest, but, you know, you have other focuses at that point. Yeah. And my focus at 16 just turned to work because I got to do something enjoyable. I was, you know, I was traveling all around. Um, so, yeah, it didn't, didn't get involved too much after that. Um, but still, you know, if, any, if I ever, we ever get invited to play at any stadiums now, I still give it a go after 10 minutes, <laughs> realize how fat and unfit I am. <laughs> what position were you playing when you were younger? I was center back when I was younger. Were you? You're like, yeah. we're like a sweeper type because you're not the tallest guy, are you? So you're kind of sweeper. Yeah. I used to just stand there and just let people run into me, basically, <laughs> and just charge at people a lot of the times. But um, you make, uh, make a good partnership with Eddie, actually, wouldn't you? You can have him heading the ball and you kind of pick it up the pieces around him. That's quite a good partnership. Well, I wouldn't like to play football with him. He's a big um, lump. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't like to run into him. Um, we've played a few times. We actually, when I was, I think when we were about, it was probably 19, 20, 
we mm. played a game with uh, the Sourlands against the Sourlands when really? we did Proch Kessler. Yeah, we played a game against them at Leighton Orient. Obviously, eleven um, aside. Owned, yeah, it was eleven aside at Leighton Orient. The pitch was so hard. I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't walk. But <laughs> when we turned up at the stadium, we walked outside, and they were all like, you know, passing the ball about, you know, out yeah. there practicing before it kicked off, and I was looking at. Them. And they were basically just a, a, a team that the Sowlands, I think, had found. And I chucked a few <laughs> them and a few people in. So we went out there. And you know when people are going for your shins and everything? I thought, what am I doing this yeah. for on a Tuesday night, freezing cold? It, it wasn't yeah, was German it. pros they brought in or anything, was it? They kind of got for the probably, game. <laughs> probably. They had an Adidas kit with Team Sowland on. So, wow. you know, you could tell that. We should have known at that point they were taking it seriously. How'd you get on? What was the final score? I think we beat them, actually. Oh, so wow. long ago, I can't really remember. But I've I've played at uh, I've played at Wembley a couple of times as well. I missed a penalty there, which oh, was, uh, I'll never live down. But I remember before we played there, they said, um, "Whatever you do, pass the ball and don't you know don't try and run too much." And we were like, "Yeah, cheers, mate. Leave it, leave it. <laughs> yeah. out. You know, we're all right. Get out there." About seven minutes in, everyone's dead. Just really? you know, like you forget you forget the size of it. But yeah, it was an experience. It's funny you say the pitches were hard at Leighton Orient because that's what pros say that now they've got that sort of lot of woven with Astro as well, aren't they? They're actually not as nice as you, you think. They look they look great, but they're not always the, the nicest to play on. No, I mean, I'm not. Maybe it's just my fitness that doesn't help, but I do commend them for running around that pitch for 90 minutes. Yeah, no, it's better on a Monday, muddy morning on a Sunday. But Frank, what, what a story, because how long has it been now? 11 years at Matchroom. What, what, how did it come about when you were 16 to do that? Because I guess other people were going on to sixth form, were they, and, and different things, college? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, I've told this story a, a few times, um, and Eddie always winds me up for it, but when I was 14, I met him uh, at a party. My dad had thrown for, it, for his company, and Eddie was there. I was selling raffle tickets, um, and I'd gone up to him, he'd given me 20 quid, and then yeah. someone said, you know that Bentley outside? That's that. That's that guy there. I went. The tight bastard only gave me twenty quid. <laughs> so I went back over, and my mum gave me a. You know, she gave me a right talking to for swearing at that point at fourteen. Um, but I went back over there. I called him tight, and he gave me fifty quid. Gave me his business card after a bit of pestering, and then I think you know for a few few months I'd, I'd just pester him for sort of summer jobs. He gave me mm. a couple, and then when I finished school, I I always knew I didn't want to carry on in school not that I wasn't very good but I didn't like the basis of you're just judged on what you get in exams yeah. and I used to the pressure used to just get to me like GCSEs I, my head went completely I did all yeah. right don't get me wrong but I didn't you know I didn't it, smash it well I was I was good at exams but I still think I didn't start enjoying until I did my master's in journalism I lost you know primary school was fun and then secondary school was just about those exams wasn't it and actually you didn't learn much because you just it dropped out of your head the day after anyway yeah, no, exactly. And it, I just think the pressure at that point was like, I'm not really interested in this. You know, you spend five years just learning to then go and do some exams that then they think should judge you for your rest for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um. So I sort of knew at that point that I wanted to just go into work. A lot, you know, my, a lot of my family, obviously, my my dad had his own business. Um, mm. and. I'd always been around that. So I thought, I just want to get into something, whatever it is. Like when I was 12, I used to sell car key rings on eBay um, <laughs> to make to make some money from my stepdad, who was a car dealer. Is that, is, that um, a, is that an East London Essex thing, you think? There's a kind of like entrepreneurial kind of gene, isn't there, around that place, it seems? 
Yeah, and I just wanted some money <laughs> yeah. for, the, for the weekend. So anything I could get my hands on, I'd just go on eBay and sell. I had a great seller feedback as well. I think it was 99 out of 100, wow. always delivered on time. <laughs> um, but that was, yeah, that was really, for me, I was just always interested in, I, I always was the one who would ask questions about things and want to learn about you know, whatever it was um, and would be a pain in the ass. You know, at home, I'd be asking questions about my mum, my stepdad, my dad's work. And they'd be like, can you just leave me alone? It's eight o'clock at night. I don't want to talk about work. <laughs> and now I understand it. Um, but yeah, when I was 16, I pestered Eddie for a job and eventually gave in. And yeah, it's, the rest is history, as they say. It's been 12 years now, um, September just gone and loved every minute of it. So you're only 28 then, now? Yeah, yeah, you're getting old. I feel older. Mate, so I have to grow a beard, because when, when I take my beard off, I look about 22. You're the same age as my baby brother. He's, he's, he's trying to make it in, in music way. He's, got, he's had a lot of listens on Spotify, but it's financially, it's a difficult one. But that's fascinating that you're, you're that age and you've had that success but I suppose you feel like it's a, it's a meritocracy at Matchroom is that what it proves that you work hard and you get rewarded? Yeah no for, for sure that's always been something I've you know said to even the people that work in it you know young people who join is if you push and give everything to the business you get opportunities um, and you know a lot of I've been lucky enough even from you know the age of 17, 18, 19, 20 and Barry's always been great with this involving you in things and you know because ultimately that's the only way you learn um i remember he's given me so many jobs in the past where i've walked out of his office and thought oh shit i haven't got a clue what i'm doing um but he he likes the facts and he's always been good at yeah everyone makes mistakes you will make mistakes but if you make a mistake just don't make that same one again twice yeah. so i think it's the best way to learn and i think you get the most out of people as well um and i can say to anyone who joins here if you give this place a hundred percent, you will get a hundred percent back as well. So you felt supported, did you? You didn't feel that jeopardy that you had at school of like, if, if things go wrong, it's kind of curtains. It, it, you felt like there was a sort of a nurturing side to it, albeit you expected to work hard. Yeah, no, I think as long as you work hard and you know, you can show that you work hard um, and you, you constantly are delivering, then you'll get the opportunities. And you know, like I say, you won't, if you make mistakes, it doesn't come back and go, right, that's the end of you, mate. It's, mm. it's okay. You've learned from that. Now let's, let's go from here. Um, so that's always been, that's always been one thing that's great about here. And because it's a family business as well, mm. everyone's very close. There's no real secrets. Everyone knows what's going on. And I think that's, uh, that helps make sure everyone's on the same page. It's interesting. Whenever I hear people who are affluent talk about having kids, they say it's difficult because you, they grow up with everything. It's difficult to, to sow that seed of motivation. How impressive is it that, that Eddie has had that? And he talked about work ethic and I've seen him and I know he's got a family and he flies around the world like you were. How impressive is that? Is that testament to Barry's parenting in a way? And obviously Eddie's mum as well, that they've managed to sow that seed in him? Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I, a lot of people, when they talk to me, ask me questions about Eddie. So one thing I say about him is he works harder than anyone else you will see. Yeah, you know, every day he is. Well, he's got a book coming out called Relentless, but I must <laughs> say he's he's uh, he is quite relentless. Is that, he's not sponsored by the is a drink, isn't there? Relentless. He's not sponsored by he, that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he should he should be to be honest. I think I should get some money for the shout out. I didn't even think about it, and then remember he's got a book coming out. <laughs> pretty mental, but um, yeah, no, he's always. I think because Barry's got that mentality as well. You know, like he's he's back in the office now. 
Um, he's obviously, he's a million miles an hour and that's where Eddie's got it from. And yeah. fair play to him because, you know, you see a lot of people in his position who don't need to do anything. And ultimately, it, it, as he says in one of the chapters in his book, you've got to play the, play the hand you're dealt. And he's done that and he's taken mm. it to another level. Yeah, you've read the book then. You've, you're on point with that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read it a few. I've read it a few times just to make sure there's nothing, uh, nothing tr- troublesome or questionable in there. I'm gonna say he's not. He's not saving money by having you copy edit it for him, is he? And doing the grammar and stuff. <laughs> no, don't worry. I, I think I'd, uh, my school, my schooling won't help with the grammar side of it. So we left that to someone much smarter than me. <laughs> Good man. And he's got his podcast, hasn't he? No passion, no point. It's kind of like it says it all, I suppose. With that, what what were the key mark? breakthroughs for you Frank at Matchroom and you know any key moments that, that sort of got you on the ladder or was it just a general kind of momentum that you built? Uh, I think you know I've like when I started I would literally do anything and every job you know I'd make teas coffees I'd work at the poker running get pizzas for people whatever anyone needed um, then moved on to other sports so I used to go to the golf courses I used to put the advertising boards out on the golf course at 5am in the morning that the Euro, um, the Euro Pro Tour. Yeah, Euro Pro Tour. Yeah. I presented, so presented a few of those, yeah. <laughs> still going, still going. Um, I used to look at, uh, we used to post-edit some of our shows with various uh, branding on. And I used to have to sit there and watch as we'd uh, change the logo on, mm. on things for different territories where things have, you know, different legalities. And uh, I remember I used to sit there for about eight hours a day mm just sitting watching and I used to you know where you you're doing something it's so monotonous that yeah. you have to I basically used to think shit, shit did I fall asleep there I've got to rewind <laughs> and double check um and yeah I think slowly we progressed I progressed into boxing um around a similar time to Eddie um when we were you know we we're working at leisure centers really yeah at that point mostly and then have just followed through as as the business has grown just been a part of of everything and like i say given a number of opportunities and taken them from there and now in the place i am now i've really enjoyed always working for matchroom i've what have i done temping bowling i've done pool golf obviously boxing is kind of a, a major passion of mine and that's been fantastic to, to be a part of as well but it is like coming there's a family environment to it i think which helps and, and that makes it easier to to work hard because everyone's in the mix as well is is that been key to you do you think having that kind of camaraderie there seems like it is yeah no that's a, that's a that's a big thing um you know and i think that's what makes everyone work so hard is because you're so close to close to it you know and like I say, there is there is no secrets. We all work together, and everyone's got the best interests. I think a lot of huge, large businesses, you know, corporate businesses, people don't really care about. Mm. Maybe wrong to say, but you know, there's not there isn't as much care about the end product. Maybe there isn't as much care about how much money is spent. Whereas at this place, it's like everyone cares to the minor detail. Yeah, um, and that is because you know you're in and around the people whose business it is, and everyone's looked after well as well. You know, we all have great experiences. We all ha- have a good time, and you know, it's part and parcel. You work hard, and you get to have have fun and have a laugh as well. What were the big yeah? What were the big steps on that journey? Because you mentioned the leisure centres, so I guess this was what before Harrison against uh, David Hay, Audley Harrison against David Hay, and it kind of seemed to explode the matchroom boxing scene again. Obviously, you had the, the Barry's historical success as well what were the, the the key sort of business decisions that you guys made was it keeping the boxers happy was it the broadcaster what was the, the sort of detail of that 
Yeah, I think that was the point where, you know, probably kicked off from where I where where I remember it anyway was, you know, you got the Audley Harrison moment when Eddie met Audley playing poker. Yeah. Signed him up, put him in prize fighter, won that, beat Michael Sprott, Sprott and then uh, and then David Hay. Um and then, you know, after that we slowly started working with the likes of Darren Barker, Carl Froch, Kel yeah. Brook. Um and then that was the process. They were probably that was probably I'd say around 2010, yeah. 2011, sort of that 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 period of time. Yeah, because um, Harrison's performance was a, a sort of knockback. I know it's working at Sky, it was tough, wasn't it? Because he sort of froze a bit after selling the fight, but then it seemed like it, it kind of it reignited the interest for for everyone. Yeah, no, that was that was a big point. And then you look at like we brought Froch Kessler back in. I think that was 2012. That fight, May yeah. 2012. Yeah. That was at the O2, sold out, pay-per-view, did great numbers. Um, then you had Frotch Groves in 2013. Uh, <laughs> you had the Wembley move with Frotch Groves 2, where we where we ended up selling out, obviously, 80,000 tickets, as Carl Frotch will never let anyone forget. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he does mention that. Could you believe that at the time when that was happening, when you'd gone from leisure centres to there in, what, three or four years, you're saying? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's... And that was really where it started and then it's kicked on from there you know Joshua Klitschko 90,000 Joshua sold multiple stadiums out now and then there was really the growth the global growth of the business you know moving into the US moving into Italy Spain uh, we do shows in Monaco Saudi Arabia so it's been it's been a real steady growth but I'd say over the last year to 18 months or maybe sort of year to two years is, is where we've seen a big big push and our plan really for boxing is to to grow it to the sort of UFC or our aspiration is to the UFC style level of where we're doing a hundred odd shows a year around around the world. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been covering a bit of MMA for for Sky because we've got the Bellator rights and actually a friend of mine works in digital and he said, could you host a few sort of previews and speaking to fighters? And I didn't really know too much about the sport, but I tried to learn and, and educate myself. But it is... It is amazing. Obviously, Bellator plays second fiddle to the UFC. But is that, that's interesting because their rise has been pretty phenomenal, hasn't it, over the past 15 years or so under the guidance of Dana White. What have you sort of spotted that they've done so well? I mean, I think everything they do is, is, is top draw. But, you know, they've really taken that sport. You know, I think what people forget with, uh, with UFC is UFC isn't a sport. Like no. you say, you've got Bellator, you've got a number of different... Uh, it's just like UFC is like matchroom within yeah. boxing. Yeah, but people, no, people that say that. UFC... People say there's no yeah. there's no belts, there's no competition between. But you think, yeah, but Bellator never fights, uh, you know, UFC and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what they've done so well is that people look at people don't look at that as a separate sport. They go UFC. I love UFC. Love the sport of <laughs> yeah. UFC, but yeah. it's not actually a sport. But that's what they've done so well, where they've created this business and this brand that is bigger than the sport itself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bellator are doing a great job, I think. You know, there's another number of others. I think you've got the likes of Cage Warriors. They're all, all doing well. Um, yeah. But UFC is just on a, on a whole nother level. I think their content stuff that they do is, is sensational. I think the fact that people take fights, um, you know, people take every f- fights against the toughest fights, really. Was talking about uh, uh, one the other day where is it, is it Masvidal who's had yeah, sort of seven or, losses? Yes, he's still there though. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But he's still there. And actually, I was having a conversation with um, Derek Chisora the other day, 
yeah. I bumped into him in London and I said, you really are the blueprint of what's, you, you're, you're so good for boxing because he is time and time again. And I know he's a, he's a character which helps, but yeah. he has taken tough fights. Hence yes. why he's, he's still around after all these years. Yeah. And that is what we need in boxing, I think. More of that. People shouldn't be afraid to lose. They should take the real fights. And I think we're seeing that more and more Yeah, now. we shouldn't condemn them in the media either, should we? And that kind of, that sort of fear of, of loss, I think, needs to dissipate. There's a difference between getting wiped away than, than losing a tight fight, I think. Yeah, but, but even taking opportunities, I think it should be. You know, look, football players go out and play a game each weekend. 10 they lose, 20 they win, 10 they, you know, and no one cares. Yeah. But there's so much pressure, and I know that's different because it's week in, week out, but there's so much pressure on fighters, like you say, and probably from the media, but mostly from the fans, that when they lose, it's like, oh, you're over, you're finished. Yeah. But it's not true. As long as you, I think as long as you take the real fights, fans respect that. Mm. Um, and I think that's why UFCs work so well. One thing they do have though is they have complete control really over the market. Yeah, yeah. Once um, you're, once you're contracted think, to them, they, that, that, you also get fighters out more regularly, don't you? In a sense, it seems with the contracts they have. I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, but um, yeah, and they but they've got you know they're probably doing what two three shows a week at some point now, including the stuff they do at their Apex, you know, in in Vegas. Yeah. Um, so. But it's, uh, it's different. I don't think you're ever going to see, you know, I'd love to get to the point with boxing where we can centralise it like that. Mm. But it's all, I think it's always going to be quite difficult. You've got promoters and the governing bodies in boxing, haven't you, I suppose, which, which sort of complicates it more. You've got several la- layers of, of different organisations. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that that's, makes it tough as well. You know, you've obviously got, as you mentioned there, the IBF, WBA, WBO, WBC. Uh, I think it's interesting to see probably comparison is what PBC tried to do. You know, yeah. when you look at PBC, when they launched, they tried to take away from the belts. They tried to take away from all that side and, you know, bring in the PBC championship and that never really took off. Yeah. And I think one thing is the fighters love fighting for the belts. You know, those yeah. key, those titles that we mentioned there, they love it. And it's, it's going to be very difficult to change people's mindset of that. I think with fighters, have you, got, have you got a couple of minutes, Frank, still? Are you okay for time? Or you, do you need to yeah, see? Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, no, cool, man. I was just, che- just checking. I wanted to know. I know you're busy. It's, it's, it's interesting how that works. So you think, would you like to see Matchroom move away from the model of guiding a fighter to 10-0, and 0, but without that fighter necessarily learning too much in that period because they're, they're kind of got walkover wins to a certain extent against sort of lesser talented opposition? I think at that level, you know, at five, six, seven, eight, and oh, you need to, they need to go through that learning process, especially the younger fighters. Um, but I, I do think, I think it's more when it gets to the point of, you know, around where you mentioned eight, nine, 10, and oh, where they need to have these proper fights. You know, the likes of when Anthony Joshua fought Dillian White, both of those guys very early on in their careers, that was the right fight for them because they learned more from that than they would do in six, seven, eight fights against, you know, of, of just knockover wins. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a, there's a balance with it, obviously. You know, we can't sign a load of fighters just to chuck them all in that they, <laughs> they may get beat. But, and the, and that ultimately, they have to learn. But they, they will learn a lot more in proper fights at, at that stage. And it's, it's just getting, the right, getting to the right stage. I'm not, sh- I'm not saying every fight should be uh, a 50-50. Because you, know, you can't do that because otherwise you'll never build a career for them. But yeah. I think 
you know, there has to be, and like I say, where UFC have done it so well, is when the fighters get to a certain level and a certain stage of their career, they take the proper fights. And yeah. again, at that point, if you lose, you can still come back. Mm. Yeah, based on performance, not results. Like talking about the GCSEs, I suppose, in a sense, it's, it's more about actually, you know, what show you're putting on rather than the end result of, of the fight. How, how many right. conversations do you guys have at, at Matchroom about tr trying to make the mega fights? I know in the States, Errol Spence, Terence Crawford, people almost think that's never going to happen, sadly, even though it's one of the, the, the sort of must-watch events in boxing because of different promoters. How, how many conversations do you have about ways of, of just making it, I guess, more feasible for, for people, fighters under different promoters or the different governing bodies to come together? Yeah, no, look, we're, we're always looking at it. We're always looking at every fight that is possible. I think ultimately, a lot of the times it's easy for fans to say, why hasn't this happened? Why hasn't this been made? And, you know, there's a lot of detail that goes into making these events, be it broadcasters, be it sponsorship deals, be it, you know, a number of deals that fighters have in place that may conflict with the other party. Um, so it's not always, it's not just always as simple as going, him fight him, perfect, nice and easy. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of work, but I think for the biggest fights, it can make sense, you know, bringing uh, fighters across from various promoters. It can make sense, but ultimately it has to make sense for both sides of the, of the card, not just one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in the end, ultimately people win. Are you, conf are you confident of a big year ahead for Anthony Joshua on that note? The, the fight's coming up, obviously, Pulev first, but then it feels like the Tyson Fury fight has moved a little bit closer. Yeah, he's got to get through the... the uh, Pulev fight, as you mentioned there, on December 12th at the O2. And uh, I think that the Fury fight is there now because I think, you know, both guys want it. And when both guys want it, it makes it, it, makes it a lot easier to make it happen. You know, um, there's, there's, there's still work to be done, don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, but I do, have the, I do have a good feeling about it now. That's great. You do, it's interesting you mentioned the O2 Arena. I remember a conversation with you in a bar after a fight and I think it was a I think it was a rematch between Chisora and Dillian White I'm not sure back end of 2018 and you said to me it wasn't so much about the sport you're in it you're in it to organize a fantastic event for people and to entertain them and I just wonder how difficult it's been for you personally because not having the fans there how has that affected your experience of, of fight night and almost your motivation yeah, no, that uh, that's a big part. A lot of people talk to me about, um, you know, are you a massive boxing fan? And I am, but ultimately, when you work in it day in, day out, it's like anything, you know. You, you, Normalises, isn't it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, everything becomes normal. And it's also like, you just, when you're not in it, you want to think about other things because it's a million, it takes up 100% of your day anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, yeah, as you said there, when I go to an event and when we put on an event, what makes me feel good about it is walking out, seeing 20,000 people going crazy, singing Sweet Caroline, just having a great night because it means everyone's enjoyed it and what you've done has worked. Um, and that's what's the driving force as well that keeps us going to deliver events is work, you get instant, you get to see that either instant satisfaction or people going, that was a load of rubbish. And we never want to hear that was a load of rubbish, but that's what keeps us going to make sure our shows are the best. Yeah. And I think Fight Camp helped because that was something different. And I think it captivated people. You know, it really... Looked great. Was, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at other sports and the way they came back from COVID, it was very much samey-samey. There was no change. And this was trying to do something different. It took a lot of investment, obviously. But yeah, 
I think it works because we've spent a lot of time building the sport with a number of partners to where, where, where it is now. And we don't want to just let it drift away after all the work we put in. Yeah. Um, but I think even these shows, you know, they have, they have their own challenges, you know, going back indoors now. We yeah. want to make our shows 10 times better than anyone else. Um, and that's why there's a lot of work gone into the staging and production of the indoor shows we're working on now. So I've still got that drive to make it better than anyone. Don't get me wrong, having fans there adds to that. But yeah. just the fact of people comparing our shows to others, that's enough for me to go, I want to be 10 times better than them. It's, well, you said you're a keen football fan, but I think it's interesting that you mentioned MMA and boxing. I think when you're watching as a TV viewer, the effect, once, the, you know, once it's underway, is less diminished than other sports where you see the empty stands. Do you feel that as well? Because there's, there's a visceral you know, thing, and this is a contest, it's combat. You, you're engrossed in it straight away, I think, and you kind of forget the sort of pandemic situation as a TV viewer in your living room. Yeah, I know. Ultimately, uh, ultimately, I agree. I do think not having fans in every sport does take away from it. Um, and, I, you know, the sooner we can get, get them back, the better. But, yeah, I agree that people are so engrossed in the fight itself. That, and that's why it's, it's important we make the best possible fights at this time, especially. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fighters take proper fights because that's what people want. People want to be entertained. And, you know, we have to try and replace... Our tough job is trying to replace that, that atmosphere that have made, has made our events yeah. so well-known across all sports as well. You know, look do you think it did, it change, did it change results, Frank, do you reckon? Did the sort of different fighters affected differently by it? Even the build-up in the, the hotels being different, I suppose? They say it doesn't. Like, as in, when you speak to fighters about it, they say, when I'm in there, that's all that matters. Yeah. As in, that I get in there, I wouldn't know if there was a person in the room or not. <laughs> I'm not I, I'm not a fighter, so I don't know. But you've got to think, not having, you know, like, imagine AJ in front of 80,000 people cheering him on, and every time he lands a shot, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that must that must affect you. But some, in some ways, it might be good for some people, take away from the pressure of having all those yeah. people there as well. Yeah. So it, it could be, you know, who, who knows? I mean, ultimately unless we knew what the feeling was, either of us getting in there with a crowd and without a crowd, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not think sure. We're... Fight or flight, and I'd choose flight, I think. That would be the uh, yeah, problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. I think I'd be the same, mate. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's the, the respect I have total for them, is the, is the courage to get in there. Do you feel for fighters at the moment? Is there difficult conversations ahead for, for everyone involved in the sport? Because I suppose the, the lack of ticket sales. Yeah, but I think, you know, ultimately this is, the COVID situation, there isn't anyone who's not affected by this. No. Um, and I think that that's a slight difference to normal, obviously. Usually if there's situations that affect financial, especially, it's it's down to a group of maybe a sport or uh, various business. This has affected everyone. And it probably makes those discussions a bit easier because no, it's not, no one's having a good time right now especially in any business no one's going oh this is this is great um so i think that probably helps the discussions because everyone's on the same page and knows the position the world's in really yeah a lot of talk about vaccine do you think testing's key i mean i think at sky sports we're looking at possibly in the next few weeks getting tests that turn around to 30 minutes to get us into sky studios and, and make sure we're we're covid negative do you think that could be key events that we could test fans before getting them in 
Yeah, look, I think any idea that people can come up with that helps get fans back in, I think there's still a lot to learn. You know, ultimately, this is eight, ten months old now, you know, mm. probably back in December, um, that this started. So I'm sure there's a lot for the scientists still to learn. How long does it take to get a vaccine together? I, I haven't got a clue. But whatever anyone can come up with that gets crowds back in, the, the better. Um, but, you know, hopeful that all these things can help. I think there's a, but there's still a lot of work to be done, quite honestly. Yeah, I just just a final thought, Frank. Obviously, when we're at these sports events, one of the things working in sports is we work weekends, and and I'm a father now, and Eddie is, and you guys work ridiculous hours. Do you feel that it's been good for you to, to build your career in the, the early stages in your in your sort of teens and twenties, or do you do you feel ever that you missed out on that? And do you think about the future and and, and having a family and, and how that all threads together? Yeah, no, I think that's but that's always been why I've done it. Mm. Um, because I, I have always, you know, like my dad when he was fifty or sixty was working tirelessly all night, and I'm not saying every everyone does that. I'm not just saying my yeah. dad single, you know, singly did that. A lot of people do that, but I always thought, right, these years now, use them to my benefit because yeah. I'm not bothered about. Like I have a good time. I go out for dinner a lot. I go out, you know, we go to have nights out N- nice night. places was, i'm sure <laughs> yeah yeah but that was that was never my drive was never just go out and get hammered until three o'clock in the morning be at uni you know that that's never really mm. been for me if i'm honest but again there's nothing wrong with that yeah but i just had other focuses and i i think i just wanted to work like, like literally i love working and i always have and i think i always will but if i was ever going if i'm ever going to do it and can do it why not do it now? Yeah. So relax more when you, you feel like when you get to middle age, be able to kind of enjoy life a bit more, maybe not have the pedal, the pedal down as much. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think also now's the time, you know, now's my time to really make something of myself. And that's, I think it's always a lot harder if you leave it, leave it, leave it. I'd rather just give a hundred percent now. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, then so be it. I've given, as long as I've given a hundred percent, that's always been my thoughts. Mm. and that'd be your message to youngsters would it you know because a lot of a lot of flack flying around about people at uni now and, and i guess there's been a conveyor belt that takes kids from school to university over the last 10 15 years would you say that just take a, a moment to think about like i guess who you are and what what suits you because it, it like you say it's not for everyone is it that conventional education route no and 100 percent. i think there's a lot of pressure on people to make a decision and go what what are you going to do for the rest of your life yeah. A lot of people don't know. I didn't come here knowing that I was going to be here in 12 years and be doing this. Mm. I didn't have a clue. I just wanted to go and do something. And I, w- I would have been a, I wanted to be a stockbroker. So had Eddie <laughs> said no to me, I would have tried to get a job in, in the city somewhere. Um, but I also do think now, and people may disagree, that um, kids of today, because everything's so accessible now and everyone sees what everyone has, people yeah. think it's easy and yeah. don't see what work you know the work that it takes to get to places you know people look on instagram and go look at him i want that i want this but they don't see what anyone does you know, like i never post at 12 o'clock at night one o'clock in the morning sitting on no. my laptop in, you know <laughs> you should, you should start you'll be the english gary vaynerchuk you'll be the new, uh, new no, business one motivator <laughs> but no one's intro like it's just like all anyone wants you to see really is the good times don't they yeah that's the truth the glamour you know, especially the glamour on social moment. media yeah. yeah 
and like fair, fair play like you've you've worked for it so do what you want but you don't a lot of people don't see i find what goes on behind behind the scenes with people mm. and like, i've got friends when i was growing up it used to be like i fell out with it or didn't really see a lot of the people i grew up with because i wasn't around and then when you do see them they look at you a bit funny and it's like where were you it's like well i've just been working and i've been doing my thing and now i have no problem sometimes i think it might be yeah. nice to get a job and work 10 to nine to five and at five o'clock go home and have no worries but yeah. that might be nice and i have i think fair play to you for doing that are you are you but ever off right do you ever feel off frank or do you do you have like rules about switching your phone off or is it just 24 7 no. No, it's 24-7, but that's the way, I, I'd, 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 if I switch my phone off, and my missus would say this, uh, my head would go completely, and that, again, but that's also quite that's sad it. at the same time. Yeah. Like, so everyone's got a different view on what's not even right or wrong, but what they want, and maybe in like 10 years, I go, oh, do you know what, I don't want to be sitting on my phone until one o'clock, or my phone going off and needing to be on it, but for now this is what i love and this is what i i want to do and i don't I, personally i don't think that will ever leave me because i think you've either got that view or you haven't yeah um, the only thing unless my missus froze my, my froze my phone away well you say your missus but that's the interesting thing it does become as you get older and you and you have like i'm married and, and i've got a little girl and she will grab my phone off me and run and take it out if she's trying to talk to me and i'm distracted by a message from work or whatever it is so it is interesting that it becomes more complicated, particularly with the sort of modern 24 seven internet on your phone kind of thing. I think sometimes you almost have to sort of actively switch off, but I appreciate that's very difficult in, in your job because you're constantly putting out fires and, and juggling things. Mm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But I always, I do think as well, like what did people do 50 years ago? Looked at the wall. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't know. I know. No, but like, how did you get hold of that? If there was a problem, what, yeah. like how did you deal with it? So, Obviously, 50 years ago, the world still ran. Yeah, now, things that, have changed and developed. But like, uh, sometimes I think, how nice would it have been to be uh, run a business or work back then? Because you could probably get away a bit easier back then. Well, do you think we had more? Yeah, it's interesting. It's probably a digression, but we had more unnecessary communication now than we did then. Because I guess those days when Barry was starting Matchroom, you just make one phone call and you'd sort things out. Whereas now it's like, could be 1,500 WhatsApp messages, couldn't it, to achieve the same thing? Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I've got to be honest though, I'm much more of a fan of messaging than I am a phone call, oh, yeah. because I always find a phone call goes on much longer, whereas a message is just like, just tell me what you need, yeah. and I'll either say yes, no, or give you an answer, whereas a phone call's like 10 minutes long, and you're like, right, what did you call for? <laughs> I, I know what you mean, I've only got mates though, who, do, who do conversations with, sometimes they do in whatsapp they'll ask you like one question then you answer back and it'd be like that actually would be better as a phone call because we could talk in two minutes and just ask how i'm doing and stuff rather than like 15 questions and i'm typing out answers every two seconds so <laughs> i don't it's a, it's a, it depends on the context doesn't it and what you're trying to do i guess in business if it's like you know do we put this banner up here then it's probably easier on a message than phone and you can just take a picture of the banner and text it to you <laughs> yeah true true uh, i i'm uh I'm, I'm probably quite bad with that where i'm just like can you just message me I'm like, you know most of the time i'm in meetings or things aren't you prefer just like quickly i'll deal with it just tell me what you need well mate well i know you're busy and i, I want to let you go but that's a quick quick thought on that how do you feel about that going forward because obviously eddie is very front and center with his profile and your social media is is increasingly active but how do you feel about that sort of promotional side of it that public side of it because 
it's part of the 21st century, isn't it? But I'm not always comfortable with Instagram and things like that. I find it it's a strange, it's a strange world, depending on how you grew up, but it's a strange world to put yourself out there and try and promote yourself in a way, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably not the best on it. I do post, but then I'll have like a few, a week or so of not going on there and posting anything because I'm just focused on the, the business side of things. Um, I think I did a press conference the other day. Eddie, Eddie couldn't do it, so I had to do it. And it's like, for me, that's that's the tough side of it. I, I don't, mm. I'm not a massive, it's never for me been about being like front and centre. I don't mm. mind doing it. But that's never been my focus. And I think my issue is I'll always be compared to Eddie yeah. in these things. And but he is good, so... You're a, good, yeah, but he's, you're, a good, you're a contrast though, aren't you? A, you're a good communicator as well. I think that's nice in a way. You, you come across as more of a, a humble kind of guy. And he's, got, he's more braggadocio, <laughs> I guess. Is, is it, but, that's, but, that, but that's it. I don't think there's good or bad to it. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, but I think because he's a salesman and like that like if you talk to me about the business and what we do and you ask me questions about that i could talk to you for hours and hours on it and answer you questions yeah but because he's been brought up in boxing and he knows like when a fighter should throw a jab or use their right hand or whether they're planting their feet yeah. i'll be completely honest with you i don't really that's not my expertise like no. And I've said that I'm never going to sit there in, in, in the front row and shout at fire, use your jab, because ultimately I'll be completely transparent with you. I don't know. Yeah. And that's why they've got trainers. And I think but, that but that's side, important for you to be, you know, this is a real corny modern word, but authentic or whatever it is, true to yourself, isn't it? Because actually that, that you, you fronting up and trying to pretend and that people do that in boxing all the time online. I've, I, I'm very reluctant to be judgmental, having never boxed of anyone that gets into a ring. And I think, it amazes me the keyboard warriors who will kind of throw around judgment and, and kind of claim they know, they, know the, they know better than trainers and fighters. Yeah, no, exactly. And, I, and that's where I sort of, but I quite like just doing what I do in the background and making things happen. It's sort of like Eddie goes out there and he's so good at it. And I think as well, where I'm, I'm 28 years old now, he started doing press conferences when he was 30 odd. Um, yeah. And he's had those years to develop. I just, because there's cameras everywhere now, I just get c compared immediately to him. So if I stutter or I'm not very good or I do so, it's just like, oh, he's useless, this guy. Um, yeah. But but unfortunately, it's one of those things that you only get better at over time. It's so all of your mistakes. Yeah. yeah, and all of your mistakes are going to be online forever. So oh, I've just got, I've just got to uh, get, I was speaking to Andy Scott, who you know, works yeah. Sports yeah. Boxing about it and saying, um, that like, how do you deal with it? He said, I just realized now that every now and then you're going to make mistakes yeah. and you're going to get a bit of stick for them. But ultimately people forget about them tomorrow. Yeah. If you do it enough, like when I do presenting or audio stuff, if you do it enough, you sort of don't think about doing it a sense. You're not as detached or self-aware. I think that's the key. But I put a video up on Twitter couple of months ago in the summer I guess to maybe inspire kids or whatever but it was something when I thought I was really good at the time I was doing local tv in Ohio because that's where I did my journalism masters 
And I had the highest pitch. I was 22, 23, the highest pitch voice. I looked about 15, according to everyone said there. <laughs> and I just looked and it sounded like I wasn't breathing properly because <laughs> I was so nervous <laughs> doing it. And actually at the time I thought, you know, probably wisely, I thought I was doing okay because that probably inspired me to carry on. But it is just <laughs> practice because I think if I'd re- been honest about it and someone had said to me, this isn't for you, I'd have probably stopped in my tracks. But I think it, it is just, accepting that you're going to be bad at stuff or not you're not bad at stuff that's not what i'm saying but you kind of you have that learning you have that learning curve, don't you? you know what i mean it's just that you have to yeah, get yeah. Every, every time you, you know you take up a sport and you, you're rubbish i'm thinking about taking up golf but i know i'm going to be totally rubbish but it's one of those oh, things don't do it don't play. do it really don't do it. i've tried during this period and it is the most inf- actually do it because all you have to do is hit one good shot per <laughs> round and it makes you go back yeah. Against you, the other, the other eighty, ninety odd shots are terrible. But yeah. one's all you need to go. You know what? It felt like Tiger Woods when I hit that. I think it'd be good. For, it'd be good for my personality because I'm not great with patience and things like that. And I think with football and tennis or whatever else it is, you can sort of run things off if you get frustrated. But with golf, I think you have to stew on it, don't you? Which is probably good. You have to kind of swallow your your ego a bit, which is which is good for it, I think. Um, but I couldn't, yeah, well, do your, well, I couldn't do your job, Frank, because you said about Eddie, but like the organisational side of it, you know, I've got mates who seem to organise our holidays and breaks and, and love doing that kind of stuff and have jobs that do that. But for me, that stress of it, you have to have a passion for that, don't you, I think, to, to be 24-7 and be on and, and like con- contacting people and, and pulling it together. Yeah, but I think ultimately, there's, I don't think there's a lot of jobs anymore where you get to see from start to finish what you create. And that's where we're very lucky is an example is Saudi. When we did the Saudi show with Joshua yeah. uh, Ruiz rematch, we, I went out there about 16 times back and forward. The first time I went there, they took me to a site, which was just rubble and sand that had wow. just been knocked down. They went, we're doing it here. And this was late yeah. August. The show was at the start of December. And I went, sorry. And they said, here, we're doing it here. I went, wow. what, what, right here. <laughs> and when you look at them, what's created over 10, 15, 20 trips over there and you look at the work that's put together and then finally you walk out and you see 15, yeah. 20,000 people and you go, do you know what? We did this yeah, and I'll, that I'll gives you, some, yeah. And that gives you so much satisfaction. Um, so I think that's what is probably the driving force that keeps us going with it. Yeah. I've got so many friends who work in middle management at the moment and they're on, sort of zoom calls and teams calls all day and then it's difficult to see an end product to any of it it's just a continuous sort of you know meeting after meeting and actually like you say seeing something discernible and even in the media when you do a podcast or you do a tv show i think it feels or you write a piece it feels like there's something that you've actually produced which i think is key isn't it i think to 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 feeling like you've you've achieved something yeah, no, definitely. Exactly. And that's what we have from the team all the way from the, the newest recruits here all the way to the top. Everyone gets involved and gets to see that, uh, that beginning and end product, basically. Frank, before you go, mark my card. What, what, what you got coming up? Because you've got overseas fights as well, haven't you? As, as well as Chisora Usyk's a big one on the radar here. Yeah, we got, so to, we're recording this, what's the date today? It's the 22nd today of October. We've got two shows tomorrow uh, on the 23rd, one in Mexico, one Francisco Estrada against Quadras. We've got a show in Italy tomorrow night as well um, with Fabio Turchi. And then we've got the Usyk Chisora show you mentioned, 31st of October, 14th of November, sorry, 7th of November. You've got Haney against Gamboa in Florida. 
wow. 14th of November, Taylor Gutierrez. 21st of November um, is Dillian White, Alexander Povetkin rematch. 27th yeah. of November is Danny Jacobs, Gabe Rosado. Um, <laughs> wow. We've got the 4th of December, we're going to announce the show on shortly. 11th of December, Joseph Parker in New Zealand. 12th of December, Joshua uh, Pulev in London. So, yeah, lot, lots going on. A few more to add to that as well. So it's exciting and good to be back up and running in regular shirts. Fantastic. A quick thought on that Taylor fight, the Gutierrez one as well, because that's a heavily stacked female card, isn't it? Which is, I suppose, something that MMA has done well in terms of the profile of female fighters. And it feels like you guys are, are getting behind that side of it too. Yeah, definitely. You've obviously got uh, Terry Harper is defending her world title against Katharina Flanders and uh, Rachel Bull, who recently beat Shannon Courtney, um, mm. is fighting for the WBA bantamweight title against Ebony Bridges. So, yeah, that's no, it's been great. I think we've seen it's been a great period for female boxing um, and people are really talking about it now. And that's it's rightly so. Um, mm. You've got some great, great stars in there, obviously led by Katie Taylor. Um, you know, we did the Cecilia Breakhouse, Jessica McCaskill fight in the US in August, Jessica McCaskill winning the undisputed titles. So, so much to look forward to in, that, in, in, in the sport and uh, long may it continue as well. It's very exciting. It is, mate. Final one. Quick thought, because I interviewed Chris Cyborg last week. Do you think Katie Taylor would fight her in a crossover boxing match? Could you see that, that happening? I know Cyborg's a bigger, a bigger lady than Katie. Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely something that's of interest and can, can happen for sure. Um, there's a lot, as I say, there's a lot of big fights out there. You know, you've obviously got Katie Taylor has this fight, then, then she could fight the likes of uh, uh, the Breakhouse McCaskill rematch winner. Um, Chantel Cameron just won a world title as well. So there's lots to look forward to, but definitely those crossover fights could be interesting. Yeah. Well, Frank, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I think it's, it's great to get your insight into to your story and also the business side of Matchroom. And, and I think it is inspirational for young people, particularly at the moment with everyone's uncertainty, but I can't imagine what it's like to be a sort of 18 to 20 year old at the moment and try to figure out what you're doing. So I think it's a great story of, of inspiration and how just committing yourself to something pays, pays dividends and, and throwing yourself in. So thank you, mate. I appreciate your time. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Good to catch up and I'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed that with Frank Smith. Very humble guy, but very ambitious and industrious and really impressive. I think his story, he's on social media. You can follow him there as well. And a uh, big, big boxing figure increasingly here. And interesting that that's, given that I've been working on MMA for Sky Sports over the lockdown, that he cites that as a, an important sport, particularly the UFC. I've been working mainly on Bellator, but we have been doing UFC previews, which I'll put up ahead of uh, the Khabib Nurmagomedov. Justin Gaethje fight. We've done one with Mark Weir, who's a local guy to me, former UFC fighter in Gloucester. We've done that for Sky Sports YouTube, so I'll put that up. But interesting that he thinks they can learn from that and the importance of trying to make the best events, best fights. And I guess in boxing, normally the best fights kind of are the source, the special source for the big events, as much as Matchroom could put on a fine show with the, the surrounding elements of it. Uh, but thank you to Frank. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in fine equipment and home installations. Check out B&O Cheltenham on Instagram, on Twitter. Get the contact details there. They can give you a, a home visit maybe or a home consultation via your laptop or mobile phone through Zoom. I'm not sure quite how it works. But be able to offer you a bespoke kind of um, plan or just offer you some advice, whatever it may be. Also, cytoplan.co.uk if you're looking to optimize your immunity at the moment. Food-based supplements, and my father is a big advocate of them, Dr. Mark Draper, nutritionist and GP in the Cotswolds here, not far from me. And 
the discount code if you want it at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk is Draper10R-D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, one zero, and then the capital letter R. Thank you, guys. Look out for that Mark Weir UFC preview. If you're interested in that, I'll put it up on the podcast before Friday night. But thank you for listening to this, and I'll speak to you again soon. Goodbye for now.